Aloha and good day. It's Clint Hansen with Maui Luxury Real Estate, and you're listening to Maui Real Estate Radio on the KAOI Radio Group, broadcasting at 1110 AM, 98.7 FM on the KAOI Radio Group. And you can listen to this and all shows at MauiRealEstateRadio.com. Today, we're doing the interview with uh, mayoral candidate Bisson. He has been running and running feverishly on the trail to get his message out there and educate everybody about what his opportunity to help Maui help itself. So we've got some questions planned today. And as always, um, I have my co-host Byron Yap with Axia Holon. Say hello, Byron. Hello there. Glad to be here. <laughs> and Bisson, uh, so uh, introduce yourself a little bit. Let's just talk story for a bit and uh, tell us how and why you're getting started as uh, from your long years of public service now into more public service. <laughs> yeah, thank you, uh, both of you, for inviting me on. Um, so again, I'm Richard Bisson. I'm retired 35 years with uh, government service and public service, uh, mostly protecting our community during that time. I uh, also come from just a working class family just right here in Kahului, Maui. Um, you know, I decided to run because it occurred to me that uh, growing up here, it, it never, I never thought that I could not live here. I never thought in the back of my mind that if I wanted to stay on Maui, it could not happen. I always assumed that and took it for granted. Um, and I still feel that way today for myself and probably for my adult daughters I have three of them my wife and I have three of them but I'm really concerned about whether the generation following my grandchildren and your grandchildren uh if they have a fighting chance to remain on Maui with the way things are going so I decided not to stay in retirement but to come out of retirement and I decided that I could offer my experience my uh judgment and some skills I've picked up over my career and that I've developed and uh, put them to use as, a, uh, as the mayor of our county to help not only problem solve, but to you know, collaborate with, uh, with other folks in the government, the council, the directors, uh, state and federal agencies. And, so your previous um, life, yes. you were, uh, you've lived on Maui your whole life and come from a large family from my understanding, right? Yeah, I lived in other places, um, uh, born in Honolulu, uh, lived uh, on military base for a couple years, few years, uh, but been, uh, been back here on Maui since um, 1969, 68, 69. Okay. And, uh, and then I went away for college uh, in California. I also lived in Honolulu for law school and for working. Um, I worked uh, on the governor's cabinet there before becoming a judge. So most, all of it in Hawaii. I can't hear your question. I can't, Clint, I think you're, you're out. Is that better? Yes. Yes. Oh, sorry about that. You know, it's funny being a judge, I, I would assume that you'd have a, a few enemies, but uh, I've talked to a lot of people and everybody who's had experience with you has been very positive and said you were very fair, balanced and intellectual in the process of, of coming to a resolution. So that I think speaks volumes with today's political scene, a lot of uh, infighting and, uh, you know, opposition, a sense of me versus you, but the ability to work together is something I think a lot of people are looking forward to. Yeah, I've had a lot of practice making decisions and actually not practice, real life, uh, life changing, real world, you know, big decisions. And I'm glad to hear your what, what you've heard. You know, <laughs> you, you don't really get immediate feedback when you when you work in the fields. I've worked 15 years as a prosecutor, as the first deputy attorney general, as a director of the prisons. And then, of course, the last 17 years as a judge. And so. Yeah, you try to make the best decision you can and understand that you're dealing with people from your own community, right? These are people yeah. that you will likely see again, um, whether it's at Costco or, of course, uh, the family parties that you show up at and you realize, oh, that's so-and-so's relative's neighbor, you know, something like that. <laughs> and so, um, but, you know, it shouldn't affect you. I mean, you should always try to do the right thing. Um, I, I was asked once... Um, this is a true story. Sometimes judges will have uh, judges meetings annually and 
one of the things we talk about are issues that are unique to judges. And one of them was, you know, I live in Honolulu and I try not to go out, you know, where I'm going to run into people. I might see somebody that I had in court. You know, how do you do it in a small county like Maui? And I remember saying to this judge, and I had already been on the bench for over 10 years by that time. And I said, well, I try not to do anything that I would be embarrassed to see that person again. Yeah. And they looked at me in a kind of a puzzled look like, what do you mean? I was like, you know, even if uh, if it's my duty that day to send somebody to prison or separate them from their family or, you know, have their children removed from their home, I, which are big, huge decisions, I do my best to explain exactly why and how we got here. And it's not about convincing somebody that you're right or they're wrong. It's just about explaining why and giving people time to absorb that and and accept it or, or deal with it. Um, so that's been my way of thinking as a prosecutor, as a judge. Uh, and again, because I come from such a big family and um, you know, people are impacted in real ways. So yeah, let's make our decisions where you don't, you're not afraid to run into somebody again. So I'm gonna start off with my uh, first question being later on as, you know, just because I think it's a good segue with, with people in prosecution and a lot of people that uh, get involved into the system is, you know, I think everywhere across the nation, we're having just unreasonable numbers of homeless people and mentally ill um, throughout Hawaii and the U.S. And, you know, there's no quick and easy solution. Obviously, I think uh, I'm a, a very much a strong supporter of housing first, because until you can put people in a stable environment, you can't really help them out, um, regardless of what program they and they got to make sure they feel safe. But um, what would you uh, propose or how do you view the housing crisis right now, especially for Maui County and uh, getting additional services for Maui's homeless and, and mentally ill? Well, maybe I'll come at this from the reverse uh, order that you just gave it, because I think it might be quicker to say it this way. You know, I think it's, um, it's ambitious to try to end homelessness. I think what we should try to at least do is to manage the best we can. And I think when we come up with solutions, while I agree with the housing first uh, policy, I think that's a long-term goal. And I think with any problem that we face, we should have immediate, intermediate and long-term solutions. Uh, I think we get stuck sometimes that we, we're only looking at one, one solution and we're maybe passing on other things. So, you know, for example, if I tell you that I think the best way to end uh, homelessness is to give everybody a home, yeah. well, well, okay, that makes sense, right? You know, if somebody has a home, they're not homeless, but where do they go while they're waiting for that? Um, and if somebody, and if the answer is affordable housing, okay, that's great. Uh, a young family is waiting for their home to be built. What do they do in the meantime? So that's the immediate and intermediate steps that I think have to be in place uh, in any situation, um, not just these two that we're talking about. So when it comes to housing, uh, our, our immediate way to address housing is ADUs or accessory dwelling units. Um, you know, it's uh, something that other cities like ours, the size of Maui and Maui County uh, also face. Uh, you know, every council uh, throughout the state, uh, my understanding has approved <clears throat> a version of uh, accessory dwelling units. And depending on the size of your lot, you can have one or more. Um, so these are already allowed. Uh, the Bison administration, we hope to approve 100 uh, of these ADUs in the first 180 days, the first six months of our administration. And the way we're going to do that is we are going to propose three floor plans, uh, a studio, a one bedroom and a two bedroom. Uh, we're going to run those past those departments that require uh, permitting uh, review and ask them, is there any problem with the design of this house? Is there any issues with the location of the bathroom or the doors or what have you? And once those are pre-approved, if you come in from the county and you, your lot you know, is uh, eligible, and as long as, I have to make one caveat, as long as you're hooking up to the county sewer and the county water, yeah. if you're hooking up to a cesspool, it will require an additional um, review because of the capacity, of course. So assuming those things, um, it's our uh, vision 
that that would be approved um, because really the only thing you need to do is get your permit and then you can start as an older owner builder or contractor. Um, and what I'm hoping this would do is also um, help, help our, our industry, our trades industry, where we could have uh, contractors who might be ready to do these kinds of projects, you know, just um, be specialized in ADUs. Now, we could, of course, have more than three, but we would start with that. And, you know, with the help of uh, architects, contractors, we could come up with other designs that are popular. Now, if you want to customize yours, then, of course, you would be like anybody else seeking a permit. But what I'm trying to do is to be more efficient. And again, to me, this is the quickest and cheapest way to address, excuse me, affordable housing on Maui is to have um, ADUs. The second is, of course, uh, the intermediate step I would propose is to uh, revitalize and repurpose uh, vacant commercial space. Uh, specifically, I'm talking about Sears, Sports Authority, Safeway in Kahului next to Rosses, the old DMV, um, you know, Lowe's, the old Lowe's. Uh, places that are already built, they've already have a carbon, you know, footprint, if you will. Uh, they have water, they have sewer, they have parking, and we have a need. We don't need stores uh, so much. We need housing. Uh, you know, our, our society has changed uh, with people uh, ordering from, from, you know, Amazon and other sort of mail orders. Most people have their goods, their boxes waiting outside their homes when they come home at the end of the day. So brick and mortar, not so much. And every shopping mall in the country is facing this issue right now. And so they are all repurposing in some ways. Uh, yeah. Take the Alamoana Shopping Center, for example. Um, if they had a school there, it would be an exact self-contained uh, town if they yeah. had a school in that mall. They have housing, they have all the stores, restaurants. So I think we could do that to revitalize these areas. Um, I think so that's that would be an intermediate. Yeah. You know, one of the things that I looked into my research on the subject is, you know, you can't just basically create normal housing infrastructure, like, you know, make them apartment units. But for especially for, uh, you know, community bathrooms and living quarters for transitional housing, it makes a ton of sense because the cost of renovating those places um, in a lot of situations like office space and skyscrapers or um, commercial buildings are running uh, upwards of $1,000 a square foot, which is you know, basically above the cost of just building from scratch. But I really do like you know, you know, the diversification of use. And since there's such a demand and need for transitional housing, I mean, it, it far outstrips almost any other demand that's out there. Um, and, and then of course, having counterpart to that more commercial slash residential living so that, you know, in a separate area so that people can live, work in, in a community as opposed to everybody having to commute right now. Yeah, I think it solves a lot of our issues. Uh, you just mentioned parking and traffic and, and all of that. I, I think what you really do though is you end up revitalizing your community, you revitalize an otherwise, um, you know, a place that's kind of sore on the eyes, if you will, and, and not being, you know, I don't know about the cost, um, but, you know, I think when you look at what's available to develop, especially on Maui, I yeah. think that sort of uh, has to be included in the equation because, I mean, what else are you going to do? Where else are you going to build? So I think, uh, you know, people will be creative. They'll be innovative. It's not your standard project. Um, but I think the potential, uh, not only to develop housing, which I think should be the number one reason to do it, uh, but also to revitalize that community. Like you talk about the work, live and work situation. These are not new concepts. These are actually old concepts. When a store owner would live above this store, a restaurant owner lived yeah, above European. the restaurant. <laughs> yeah, we're just adding, or even Old Town Hawaii, but we're just, uh, we're just adding more floors. And the reason that's uh, a mutual and maybe even symbiotic uh, relationship is your customers come from those who live above, your workforce comes from those who live above. And you know, it's perfect for mixed use. Uh, when you think about a downsized smaller place, maybe seniors who don't, you know, Kapuna who don't wanna uh, maintain a large property anymore might want the ease of a, of a smaller apartment style living, brand new, 
couples or single folks that want a place to start, uh, you know, their, their entry home. Um, again, near to stores for seniors, you know, you want it to be near the MEO vans, the MEO routes, get to the doctors, get to your prescriptions. Um, and then that's when you have those places that we still go to, like, uh, the barber or the nail salon or the, the dentist or the optometrist, and, uh, you know, all sorts of things. So last time we spoke about that very topic, you know, I asked two questions and combined them into one. And you were very poignant to point out that there's a big difference between homeless and mentally ill. So, you know, on the other side of the equation, mentally ill. Um, I mean, how would you help support that community? Because it's an ongoing issue that, you know, does affect both the average person who's housed and unhoused. Uh, well, starting with the mentally ill uh, on Maui, um, you know, it's easy to answer, well, that's a state issue. It's the state that runs the Hawaii State Hospital and provides, you know, the, uh, the level of care. But the county also participates through grants with nonprofits and other organizations like uh, Mental Health Kokua uh, that we have here. So, I mean, the county can play a very big role. Uh, by funding nonprofits who do the type of work that the county would not be uh, qualified or, or able to yeah. do. I think funding that is the, the most important part. <laughs> right, right. I mean, but I, I think, um, you know, we're seeing some of this happening play out right now for those folks that work for Kaiser that are on, that have been on strike for the last couple of weeks up in the Kahului um, area across Baldwin. Um, you know, they're talking about having so much uh, work and being, you know, having too many cases per worker. So, I mean, it tells us there's a shortage of people working in the field. Um, but the mental health issues are very individual. Um, you know, the experience that I saw a lot of as, a, as the mental health court judge and becoming very intimately familiar with a lot of our population is when people start to feel better they stop taking their medication mm -hmm. because they think they're cured. They don't realize or make the connection that that's the only reason they're feeling that way. So we're always having to convince people, you know, whether uh, I think what works a lot is the long-term injection medication. You now there's some where people were taking a pill every day to keep, you know, keep themselves better, or even a shot once a week. Uh, I think there's one out there now for at least a month and maybe longer term. We yeah. find those to be very, very effective for our population. Uh, but I think what, what we started to do and what I would like to see more of, and I think the county could play a role in this, is to have mentors. I think um, people who go th through the mental health court system uh, are unlike people who go through the criminal justice system. Their, their reality and their life challenges are very different. But, but because they've overcome them, I feel like they could be uh, very, very useful to help because they know where they're at. I mean, a lot of the best drug counselors are former drug users. So mental health court patients who have overcome their issue, although still treatment, I mean, still involved in their, in their treatment, um, would be the perfect people to convince folks that are going mm -hmm. through their own struggles um, how to get through to the other side. So I think that's something the county maybe could, uh, you know, have a, not a policy, but, um, you know, promote could promote yeah. that and petition the state for more funds too because mm -hmm. of course my mom was on the mental health board of Maui uh over a decade ago and it was uh several years of really hard work petitioning for income and being one of those individual volunteers to bring awareness for both locals and state on our just desperate right. need and it was hard several years ago you know they moved the the kiki ward over to honolulu so there's a a, a a lot of youth that suffer from mental illness. And now if they have or a need for overnight stays, you know, they're often over on Oahu away from family and friends. So having a facility here would be a great help, but you know, problems with zoning and creating a facility like that is just one of many issues, let alone the funding part, so. Well, our facilities here on Maui, like the Molokini word, are only designed uh, for 10 days or less. And they're only yeah. designed for um, acute care and short term. So what, we either don't have the population to support a full-fledged um, mental health, um, you know, uh, feature, uh, or uh, there's no, you know, 
there's no political will to have or that. I, I don't know if this is required, but I would assume a certificate of need is in order to build a mental institution would be required. <laughs> Get rid of the certificate of need. That would be great. <laughs> well, you still would need the professionals. Uh, yeah. You, know, you would need the doctors and the staff. Um, you know, there's, there's a lot of security uh, required at certain stages that people are at in their, in their um, you know, as they're going through their, their mania or, or whatever it is, the manic phases that they might be going through. So it's not something that, um, you know, anyone can just step in on. They're, they're very uh, unique. One of the things that um, kind of the headlines right now that I saw the other day, and maybe you might have thoughts on this is, you know, we just saw what in Oahu and now on Maui corruption, you know, where bids are being paid through government employees, you know, and always the concern is as the citizens is, hey, is our mayor or is going to try to do anything? We know you can't see everything, but is, do you have a plan in place or thoughts on this? What's happening? Absolutely. And, you know, I think we can talk more candidly about it now that both gentlemen yesterday pled guilty to their charges and to their offenses and will be sentenced in January and uh, facing very severe you know, consequences. And you know, the message is clear to anyone who would think of this uh, or have been involved in this to really think twice. Um, you know, I'm probably one of the few candidates who've ever run for an office who's actually been involved in the, either the prosecution or sentencing of folks who have taken from the taxpayers. But I, I will say that um, while it appears that there is a system in place uh, it didn't work. The system they had didn't work. So I would require that if uh, a sole source bid, um, which, which just to explain to, to your listeners, it involves someone who's deemed to be the only vendor who can provide that service or equipment. Um, I think everyone would understand that for something of this magnitude, nearly $20 million dollars, um, you would think that there would be other companies that would say, hey, is that, you know, profitable? I think, you know, I can, I'd be interested in, in exploring or, or getting into that field. But, you know, I don't know that that did or did not happen in this case. So one of the things I would do is I would look, I would frown very much on sole source contracts or bidding, but I would make sure that we have a process in place that um, not only must the director sign off, uh, but for me, I would involve the director of finance and uh, in some instances, if it's, certain, if it's over a certain amount, let's say, I don't know, $100,000, that it also get the, the mayor's signature or at least the managing director. Yeah, it'd be nice so, too, maybe, yeah. if you had something where, you know, as a community, we can see, you know, like if a bid's awarded, hey, this is the sole source bidder. You know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? Right. You know, yes, of course. Fun. Yeah, no, I think that the taxpayer wants to know that the money that they're paying to their government being used wisely and not being handed out to, mm -hmm. to friends or, or family. Um, but again, I think the more eyes on the project, the more eyes on the, you know, we don't have a procurement office in the county level like the state does, is my understanding. So, you know, not, not only should we rely on the integrity of our employees and our appointees, uh, but we should have systems in place that require a more set of eyes on that. So the person knows, hey, you know, I can only run this up the, you know, up the chain. And the next person says, well, I'm going to look at it. I, you know, if it stops at that level, then boom, it turns around. Nothing's granted or approved. But if it says, hey, you know what? We checked everything and this looks like uh, it's legitimate. The thing about a sole source bid is we got to be very careful about uh, any change orders that can come in after the fact. Well, um, because... Point. Change orders are something that aren't reviewed as closely as the original bid because you think, wow, this bid is, is, is the only one, so we had to take it, or it's so low, it's the best one. And then just to come around again and just kind of get a, you know, a nickel and dime here and there. So I think From my understanding of the audit of the uh, rail over on Oahu, that's where the majority of their cost overruns are coming from, is how the contract was written on like earth movement or something along those lines and uh, a lot of dirt getting pushed around for no particular reason other than to cost money. <laughs> and no one's really surprised to learn of this after the fact. The question that 
Byron asks is, what can you do before that happens? Yeah. And again, I think the way to do it is to be very cautious on sole source. The government or the, the, the taxpayer does not like that. So make sure that we're, it's legitimate that that is the case. It's the only one. But then have a set of eyes on there and just have it go up the responsibility so that it goes uh, perhaps even to the mayor for signature. Uh, so everybody's involved in the decision making. Everybody's aware. Um, and again, I think we got to pay real close attention to any change orders that come in on this, especially sole source bids throughout the process. And we need to have uh, a zero tolerance on change orders unless they're signed off. So um, on the other side, obviously, this is a real estate show and housing is one of our number one focus points. Um, I kind of want to combine two questions here. And one is, you know, looking to the past, like Dream City. I mean, back in the day, there were, um, you know, workforce housing projects like Dream City. And I'm wondering about, A, you know, creating additional programs where if somebody comes through, they can fast track a process, which some fast tracking does exist already. But if somebody's willing to, you know, live in a property for 10 years, they're not going to be able to sell it until after that point, really only applies for residents and people who are going to be here full time and can't sell unless there's, you know, something under duress like death or divorce. Um, and then to me, more importantly, is Maui County has just completely gone away from uh, issuing bonds for major improvements. Uh, I see so many times at county council talking and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going to let the developers slide on this one and we're not going to require them to put in the improvements into the roads. And I'm like, it's not their responsibility. It should be the county's responsibility to issue a bond for those improvements you know, and reduce traffic, have sidewalks, things of those natures, those capital improvements get paid for by the new taxes in the area. So I wanted to kind of get your opinion on, on the past and present situation for A, creating workforce housing and just housing in general for large projects. Can I just answer, I agree, um, because it sounds like you, you worked the answer into your question yeah. Um, in, in, a, in a lot of ways, yeah. um, which means because I, I absolutely have been saying since I started my campaign that I think the way we drive prices down, this is the way I describe it. How do we drive prices down? Um, well, the county putting in infrastructure is one of those huge ways. The county owning the land is another is another feature. Of course, um, I've long proposed an inventory of our lands. I don't think we need to wait until a developer comes to us and say, and says, oh, I have this tract of land in this area. I want to know if mm -hmm. I could develop it. I don't know why. Um, and, and somebody can probably explain this to me one day, but I don't know why we cannot today already point out areas that we think should not be developed, should not be. I'm mm -hmm. guessing there are lots of people that already know those areas. I mean, I'm not even, regardless of who the owner is, we might own it, you know, it might be owned privately. But I think if we had an idea of areas um, where we could take our time right now and say, you know, the, the available land on Maui is a static, is a static number. It doesn't change week to week, year to year. It's been the same for generations. What we need, what I think we should do to save time, energy, money, and mostly the cost to, to eventually the home buyer is to already set out those areas that we have no controversy, areas that we have lots of controversy, and the areas that are in the middle. Um, and then we can maybe even promote those areas as the county. We can say, hey, uh, we looked up our tax records and this land is owned by this hui or this family. Are you interested in, in having someone purchase, trade, swap, uh, donate? Um, and this is some place we can start putting in land. You know what I don't know uh, the answer to is who's responsible for building housing in Maui? Who's responsible for that? Is it the developer? Is it the county? Is it the state? Um, I think the answer to that lies in, well, who controls the restriction? Who controls the decision? Who has the say? I think mm -hmm. it's the county. I think it's the county who, who gets to say. So if you're going to say, well, I decide if you can or cannot build or what you must do, then my guess is you're responsible for building it there. Because um, while you need help and you need contractors and, and people to build it, uh, they can't make a move unless you give them the okay. 
So I think, you know, if the county wants to do inventory of lands, wants to use county or state lands, if the county wants to put in the infrastructure, I think the only issue I've brought up that might be a discussion point is requiring that you have a homeowner's exemption to buy that area. Um, you know, I've gotten different reactions from people on this. Um, I'm curious if I get in the office, you know, putting a full court press of corporation council attorneys on, on you know, researching and focusing on this. Uh, I've had people come up to me and say to me at you know, meeting greets, you know, you can't do that. You know, you can't restrict what I can buy. So I ask them. You can't questions. be forward thinking. Don't be forward thinking. We just got to be shooting from the hip. Come on. <laughs> well, 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 I asked them a question. I said, and this was a non-Native uh, Hawaiian person. Um, so I said to them, can you buy a house on, on Hawaiian homeland? And she said to me, no. I said, why? I thought you, nobody could restrict you from buying property or land. I said, can you buy an affordable house in an affordable housing project if you don't meet the criteria? She goes, no. I said, well, I thought you said you could buy. We already restrict purchasers yeah. already. I don't know if this is a category that would be um, recognized and allowed, but I don't see the harm in trying because the, the good in it, the, the benefit in it is that folks who have put in their sweat equity living here, paying taxes, cleaning up the beach, coaching their kids in school, coaching other people's kids in, 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 in soccer and baseball. And, and when I say equity, I don't mean that in a, in a realtor sense. I mean that in contributing to your community. You have, you should have every opportunity to own a home or at least lease yeah. a property here for all of that. That's got to count for something. And so I feel like, you know, if you have that homeowner's exemption, um, you know, we build homes and subdivisions that I'm calling Kama'aina housing, where the focus is on who is living in the house, not on how much the house is worth. Now, when people talk about affordable housing, you know, I wasn't trying to mock that term when I said there's no such thing because, you know, it's, it's not true. It's not affordable to most people. Um, what I was trying to distinguish is when you say affordable housing, the focus is on the cost of the house, the price yeah. of the house. When you say Kama'aina housing, the focus is where I want it to be on, is who's living in the house. Tell me this, gentlemen. If you, if you build a 500-home uh, affordable housing project and you sell 450 to somebody who's different than mainland, what have you done? What have you done for the market here? I mean, I'm just saying, I'm just saying, <laughs> you just right? Brought in more traffic. <laughs> well, all you did was sell an affordable house. And I feel like we're yes. I feel like we're focusing on the wrong statistic or we're measuring the wrong thing. Everybody likes to take credit, or maybe not everybody, a certain group of people like to take credit or pat themselves on the back. I made all these affordable houses. Yeah. Well, who's living in those? Just yeah. tell me who's living in them. That's all I want to know. If you can tell me that, you know, there's 75% local people, that's great. Then why do we have this problem? If that's the case, why are so many people moving? Why are people, and, and who's moving? Who's moving away? Our middle class. Who's moving away? The people that are contributing to, contributing to our community, right? Uh, people, who, I mean, police officers, firefighters, nurses, teachers, uh, tradespeople, right? Um, people that contribute, the, the recognized middle class of our community, the ones who can actually afford a house. If we offered them one to buy, if we built one for them to purchase. Um, so I just think, you know, and, and we can think about other, other um, alternatives, which I'm, uh, I'm becoming a fan of leasehold. Um, and I think for a couple of reasons, when we look at the Hawaiian homes model, those lands will live on for ever yeah. as Kama'aina, in that case, um, you know, that's, Kanako that's Uri, what we Hawaiians. did. We yeah. had not, uh, we created or helped fund and uh, started out in the Holly O'Malley, you know, Absolutely. which is a yeah. land trust. So yes. it basically goes into perpetuity affordable housing where Nahali Maui goes around and purchases, you know, foreclosed or builds properties and it's a shared ownership. And the best part is the majority of those buyers actually trade into the open market. It's a wonderful opportunity to build equity, savings and credit simultaneously while learning how to take care of a property. And obviously, holding you're on not to proposing that everything need to be Hawaiian homelands or Nahali no. Maui. No. But yeah, it's it's, no, but it's the definitely model. a function of the yeah. economy. You need 
different sectors of housing in order to allow the average person to flourish and grow and become a member. And that includes home ownership. Home ownership is a necessary function of saving for the future. And without those vehicles and prices skyrocketing, what else are you going to do? <laughs> we call that in our campaign, we call that Kama'aina prosperity, which sums up our entire campaign. Um, and exactly for the reason you just said it, stated, um, you know, leasehold is just one form of ownership. It's not the only way, but yeah. just like you offer, just like you offer AMI to, you know, 50% to 80%, 80% to 120, 120, 120, just like you offer that is the same way you offer the ability. And I'll uh, tell my you favorite why. thing about that whole Nahali O'Malley is the revolving board, because so many times you see companies and, and nonprofits evolve into, you know, the main person getting a lot of money for their position where it really, you know, it's important that people get paid for the work that they do, but it's more important that, you know, it does not divulge into sucking up resources you know, so I love how Nahali O'Malley works as a revolving board. So people get the opportunity to help, learn, and 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 then contribute Move to on. the community, you know. Right. Get no, I agree. And I do think that the leasehold, the reason I'm a proponent of leasehold property and has become uh, that is most people today can afford their mortgage or their rent. It's the down payment that kills people or prevents them from trying to get into homes. So yeah. a leasehold, a leasehold property at least resolves some of that. And again, um, like Hawaiian homelands, those properties would remain in the local market most likely because mm -hmm. investors are less likely to invest into a leasehold property. So you get people in cheaper, you get people in quicker. Um, now, of course, they don't own the land, but think about all of any of us whatever home you live in now, you're, you're just the caretaker of that property during your lifetime. Mm -hmm. When we're gone, somebody else lives in that house, just like a leasehold. So you can't tell the difference between a leasehold and a fee simple by the person living in it. <laughs> um, really, everything we are, we're here, we're just on borrowed time. I mean, it's, we're all leasing. I mean, we can call it fee simple because we can transfer it and, and leave it for somebody else, of course. But if we're talking about preventing Maui from being oversold or, or having Kama'aina be, um, you know, less and less and less here, uh, then leasehold is one of those, one of those um, methods uh, or solutions, mm -hmm. just like rentals are, just like rentals. You know, not everybody can afford to buy. We need to offer rentals. So, you know, when you go in a restaurant, you offer people the whole menu. You don't just say, you can only eat this, yeah. right? Because people can afford and, and their appetite is different. So now, with your if if when you are when you, if you do get in office, what is your thoughts? Because you know there's been a lot of complaints about we have all of our eggs or most of our eggs in the basket of tourists. You know, right. are you is your administration prepared to search out and look for diversification of our economy? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, we already are, um, and. You know, we have evolved into this dependency on tourism and, you know, there's there's lots of revenue generated by uh, this and uh, a lot of people on Maui. I mean, the odds are you have a 50-50 chance of running into somebody who's making money off of the tourism industry. So not something for us to simply cast aside. That would be very poor governance and poor leadership uh, mm -hmm. to to uh, sort of kill the golden goose that's, that's laying the eggs. However, um, we also witnessed during the pandemic some of the downside to that dependency. And so clearly, uh, I think it was obvious before that, but it was driven home during that time. So um, yes, we, we have some ideas of expanding industry. Um, I've talked a lot about, I'm just gonna say it and not explain a lot, access deer. I think that's a huge, uh, issue. It's an environmental threat. It's an invasive species, uh, but it's also an agricultural product that, believe it or not, you do not have to feed or water. You need to harvest. All one needs to do is harvest it. And if we can work on having the USDA have a permanent inspector here, and we could have a mobile slaughterhouse, um, you know, whether the county, you know, helps to fund that or not, um, that's an industry. If we can workforce develop 
our butchers, our processors, our manufacturers or distributors, um, people would buy that product. Uh, we could put a bounty on it and have hunters, you know, turn them into you know, certain places that are regulated. I mean, there, there's a lot of challenge. Uh-huh. And I know there's ongoing, ongoing um, task forces that address it. But right now, the main issue is eradication. Uh, but I feel like it, it's a missed opportunity for an industry because I agree with the eradication part. But what do we do with it once it's been dispatched and harvested? <clears throat> I feel like we we can focus on that. We should focus on it right now because um, uh, that's necessary. Uh, artificial intelligence is another area that we're talking about. We have um, we actually have a project on Maui now with the University of Hawaii Maui College and some other universities, um, namely San Diego, that is working on uh, driverless electric vehicles. And I would I would love to have that. Uh, be beta tested right in Kihei on South Kihei Road where we could have uh, much like an Uber and a combined Uber and bus, if you will, uh, be on a preset route, be as small as a two-seater, as much as an eight or 10-seater, much safer, having no driver because we can all remember stories of Uber, you know, situations going bad, uh, either because of the driver or the passenger. we could uh, reduce emissions, reduce traffic, um, and uh, much cleaner. Uh, and we could do this here on Maui. The technology is already here. It's already being worked on. Our, our yeah, team- driving gets released this next week. So, and it's kind of funny, if you look at the numbers for the rail over on Oahu, um, it basically, I think it pays for a Model 3 for almost every resident of Oahu, <laughs> the amount of taxes that got well, Don't forget, spent we're on paying that for that too. We're yeah. paying for that too. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Affecting all of us, yeah. So, I mean, that's an industry that I think we could, you know, uh, develop at the research technology park. Uh, we could do not only the, the artificial intelligence part of it, uh, but also the manufacturing of it would be great if that's something we got ahead of our team. Uh, of folks here, um, you know, did their driving in Indianapolis uh, a year ago in the Indianapolis Speedway and came in sixth in the country among universities. Uh, so we're there competing right now uh, during this time. And so uh, it's not a hypothetical. It's uh-huh. something that we already have people working on. And if we could you know, expand that area, of course, a lot of folks talk about agriculture as being something, uh, food sovereignty, food security, whichever word you want to use. Um, as a way of expanding our um, our economy, I think most of that is so that we can be self-sufficient and sustainable. Um, I'm not sure if we're talking about growing food to sell outside of here, like like sugar or pineapple, but something more of you know not being so reliant. I don't know that that helps to diversify or replace an economy uh, like tourism, or if, or if it just simply helps to supplement and um, sustain us during periods of not having uh, you know, food delivered. So those are just a few of the ideas. Uh, and I know there, there will be many others uh, talked about. What, what I'm hearing, correct if I'm wrong here, is I'm hearing that from you, you're, 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 if you are mayor, is you're open to ideas. Nothing is set in stone, meaning, hey, it's black or white, white Byron, don't even bother me. Is your administration going to be open to the average person? You know, of course, we don't want to bother you every day or Hey, my idea is the best idea, but it sounds like you guys are open or you're, you're open to ideas. They may work, they may not, but Hey, I'm willing to listen. Is that what I'm hearing? 100%. Great. And and if I can prove this point, um, last week we were in Kula on a Wednesday, we were in Makawa on Thursday, and we started what we are calling our collective Kuleana series. Uh, going to the public, and, and this was, you know, and I guess a, a social experiment. <clears throat> We're going to be in Lahaina uh, on Thursday and encourage people to come. Um, what we're doing is we're asking the community, well, we have some ideas of what we think the issues in Kula are. Nobody knows the Kula issues better than the people living in Kula. And I was a little surprised by a couple of the topics that, they, that were concerning to them. I, I thought I knew what they were going to be. But again, uh, uh, to go to the community, to have average people, and when I say average, I mean everyday people. I mean, they're all above average in, in terms of, you know, 
uh, intellect and everything else. So I'm just saying people who were not expecting to speak up, break into groups, talk about the issues and their solutions. And it was even more passionate the next night in Makawao, uh, where we had, I think, 15 people sign up for, you know, on our website and, you know, 70 people show up and uh, some of them had heard how Kula went. So, you know, we're, we're, we have facilitators and we're there listening. Uh, so we're not waiting until January. We're talking to people right now, giving them a glimpse of what it would look like uh, for our administration. I, I have said it before. I'm, I'm sure I'm on record. Uh, it's my intent to go to communities at least once once a month, uh, holding like a town meeting. Um, so maybe go to Kihei, you know, in one month. The next month, go to Haiku. The next month, go to you know, Paia or Kula. You know, go to the community centers and just say, hey, what's what's going on? What's What can we talk about? I mean, you know, it, we, we set out some ground rules. Yeah, It's not a gripe session. It's not a grumble section. It's not a session. Um, it's an opportunity to really share, listen, and be heard. You know, the word that I think comes to mind that we've gotten away from and I would like us to try to get back to is respect. And respect comes from listening to other people, allowing other people to have an opinion that's different from yours, uh, not judging people, not thinking you have the moral high ground because you think this or you don't because you think that. Um, you know, it's become uh, allowable for people to be rude or for people to be obnoxious or for people to be so uh, right in their opinion that no one else's opinion matters or is right. And not only is your idea bad, but you're a bad person too. You know, there's so much attached to that. And, you know, I, no one has seen more adversarial stuff than a judge or a prosecutor. I'll tell you right now. I mean, politics is pretty, it's got its own thing, I'm finding out too. But I'm going to say on a, on a day-to-day where there's usually rules, but, you know, a lot of aggressive, you know, adversarial stuff go on is, is in a courtroom. And so, you know, when I'm out, you know, my, my goal is that we can agree to disagree, but, you know, we don't have to be disrespectful. And I bet you've had your case to the uh, plutocratic regime, you know, that's everywhere all the time. But, uh, well. You know, that being said, we do have a lot of, of laws and county ordinances in place that and processes that aren't very smooth here. I mean, from my understanding and reading, Maui County is literally one of the most difficult places to develop anywhere across the United States, which is why I think having a county initiative for building affordable housing makes a ton of sense, like you were saying. But what is your thoughts on on helping smooth out the permitting process? Because, you know, last time we spoke, we talked about um, Maui Meadows, and that's a half acre. And while it should be allowed to have a third dwelling, a lot of people um, have run up against issues there. And later after that uh, last communication, I learned that actually some people have been able to get the third because, you know, while they created the county rule, that's state zoning up there because it's rural, uh, half acre. They should be allowed to do the second accessory dwelling. They can, they've worked out the kinks, but nobody up in Maui Meadows realizes they can put that next dwelling unit. So I think it has to be two part, A, educating people that they can do an additional accessory dwelling, giving them you know an opportunity to do that. Um, and how exactly do we smooth out the permitting process to make it capable? Um, is Maui Meadows, can you help me in this? Is they, are they still on cesspool or have it they depends. gone to There has been a lot of people who have converted to septic. Um, okay. but yes, it's cess and septic. It's not. That sewer. could be, that could be one of the challenges of having that third dwelling, to be honest Absolutely. with you, because it's not just the zoning. It's not just, you know, uh, that you, you, you have to have the capacity to handle you know, the, the waste. And, um, and that's, so it's not just the size of the lot. It's not just having a half acre lot. It's, you know, where's the, you know, cause you're going to add more stress to the capacity of your cesspool or septic. And so, um, you know, people are willing to, you know, increase their capacity. Yeah. And I suppose those are the ones that got the third dwelling. But, um, so I don't think it's just simply, uh, the county overregulated, which, you know, the county is it's been proven or at least written about 
that we're the most, you know, overregulated county in the state and possibly the country. But the country, yeah. I think, yeah, I think in fairness to uh, folks who have to review requests in Maui Meadows before everybody runs out and tries to get a third dwelling, they really got to, and I said this earlier when I was talking about getting 180 use for, uh, you know, approved in the first 180 days, I made the caveat, uh, assuming you're on the county uh, sewage uh, system. So I know that's something that, you know, is a sore subject for a lot of people and, you know, has to, has to be discussed. Uh, a lot of things in their time were legal. I mean, before you could paint uh -huh. with asbestos, right? I mean, you could have asbestos or lead, lead paint. And you could have asbestos. It wasn't, we didn't know about it like we do now. So there are uh, things that have changed and hopefully improved and make it healthier for people, but it's also a hassle. And so there's a little bit of a trade off. But um, I would say that uh, the regulation, you know, a lot of that does come from the council. So I think it would take a strong mayor to work with the council to try to make your case. And I think it would have to be a very compelling case that the need for housing is at a critical stage. You know, I think ironically, if, if I can say this without offending anyone, ironically, the very thing I think that folks have been trying to protect against um, has backfired with some of the with yeah. some of the overregulation because now what we're finding is local people cannot buy a home and have to leave and people who have money and, and means yeah. that come from outside can buy in this market because the inventory is so small uh, that the prices are so high. I mean, I'm talking to the realtors. I, I don't know what I'm talking about. You guys know all this stuff, but um, so who ends up being able to afford that house ironically is um, the person that is not from here. Yeah, And the people from here are the ones that aren't, finding any homes available and you know this isn't about you know pull yourself up by your bootstraps and yeah you know i got it you can do it and just all you got to mm -hmm. do is you know i can i can i can but you know it's uh it's it's way more than that i mean the numbers just work against people i i talked about the down payment issue um you know the monthly payment is a is an issue too but more so than the monthly cost of your housing most people's housing are fixed numbers once they get into a long-term rental agreement or they have a mortgage payment for 15, 20, 30 years. But it's the cost of living, the cost for your gas, the cost for your cell phone, for your internet, yes. for your groceries. Those things can change weekly. How much you paid for a gallon of milk the last week and how much it costs this week um, can change. Again, your cost of your housing usually stays somewhat stable, but it's the other costs that that drive up um, and where people have to decide, do I, do I fill my prescription or do I fill my gas tank? What do I yeah. do? So my last question as we get nearing the end of this conversation is becoming mayor, you get, uh, you're in, what is your attack or your first hundred days going to look like from me, you know, when you get into office or what can we expect? Well, well, clearly we want to um, put together the best cab that we can. So we want to have, you know, people uh, we want interested and qualified and eligible people to put their names in. So we want to do a strong recruiting um, push. Uh, I, you know, I get asked this question maybe once a week, you know, who, who are you going to appoint? Who's your cabinet? I said, well, who applied? And of course they can't tell me because no one's applied. So I have no idea. Uh, who will be interested in working. But, you know, my goal will be to find the most qualified people that are committed to our people, uh, you know, here on Maui that, that want to help our people. And that's my, that's going to probably be my biggest focus because that's going to determine how the rest of the, you know, three years and 264 days go. Because, you hear that, uh, people? You need to volunteer and you need to sign up for the job, you know? There's opportunity to need. help out there, you know? How would yeah. people apply for a job like that? They go to the county website? Yeah, I'm sure there's a personnel office that accepts the county's, uh, you know, applications. But, you know, I'm pretty sure if we're successful, you know, there's a window between November 8th and the first week in January uh, for, you know, us to get information out to people. Um, but yeah, I want to put a couple of committees together 
Um, I also want to run some of this by the council once we know who the council is, uh, because the council now, since 2018, has a say in who um, who the mayor gets to select for the cabinet. That's that's different than what I you know had grown up on, and as a former director who had to go through council approval uh, under two different mayors as prosecutor. Uh, just the prosecutor and the corporation council needed to go through that. Now every director that the mayor appoints has to go through that. And that's uh, you know, that's a little cumbersome, and that's a little uh, that's an interesting uh, approach, I think. And I have an opinion on that, but I won't get into it right now. I, I like your that, 180 days though with the accessory yeah. uh, dwelling units. What yeah. else are you thinking in your that first 100 days? Well, yeah, it's housing is the main thing. I really want to step up this access to the issue because I think it's going to come up on us quicker than we realize. And and it, again, it's it could be irreversible if they can get to our watershed and denude our watershed areas. So I'm really concerned. And, and speaking of water, um, I, you know, depending again on what happens on the charter amendments, I think um, for me, I'd like to have people from each of the three major water sources, the Navaiha, the East Maui, uh, water folks and the uh, West Maui or the Komohana Water District. I'd like to have a couple of people from each of those areas um, that are very knowledgeable um, advise me on water issues. I'd like to have that start sooner than later. Um, you know, I don't think we need to wait until there's a crisis to start talking about these things. I'd like to try to prevent that. And the way I'd want to do that is have these folks monitor our usage, you know, is is water being, uh, you know, uh, divided up the way the way the sea worm has agreed or has authorized? Are people getting their water to their lo'i, to their farms, to their, you know, where it's supposed to be? And if not, why not? You know, what does it look like? What's our yield? Uh, does it look like we're going to come up on something? We need to do something right away. And I feel like we need to put in more water catchments. Um, I think, especially for the South Maui Kihei area, who, um, you know, what we're noticing in our patterns, and I'm guessing this is because of climate change, that we're not getting that steady sort of rain that we used to have. Now we just get dumps. We get a, we get a rain dump. Um, so even, you know, rain is, is different than what it used to be for us. But that's also an opportunity for us to, you know, uh, acquire resources. So what are we doing? How prepared are we? Um, I think having more, allowing more water catchments, more water reservoirs, trying to catch the, catch the water up the mountain before it gets all the way down, becomes brown water in our oceans. I mean, there are things that I don't think we can wait on. Um, you know, I, I want us to really um, jump into our digital equity, our broadband, access and equipment for our rural communities, Molokai, Lanai, Hana, um, you know, out in Haiku, wherever there's access issues. Uh, you know, there's a lot of federal government money that has been coming in in the last few years. And some of that is designated for infrastructure and water and sewer and uh, water, wastewater. And of course, uh, broadband and digital, um, you know, access and equity and equality. So I'd like us to take more advantage of getting those grant monies to Maui um, and uh, increasing uh, increasing that for, for our citizens, just, just to name a few. So um, I wanted to wrap it up with a, a final question. And one of the things that I've been seeing um, in the last, basically through COVID is, you know, the people of Maui, as well as, you know, uh, people who own off island seem to be getting an unfair tax burden comparative to some of the hotels. And it happens kind of in two ways. Um, you know, taxes went up for, you know, people who own uh, homes that are in, you know, that have automatically pushed up because of prices exponentially increasing. So they've had tiered expenses increase, you know, on their tax basis. And in addition to that, um, their assessment levels are dramatically higher compared to what hotels pay on a per square footage basis. So, you know, uh, it's to me frustrating to see people that have, you know, a, a condo that, that is either a primary residence or, um, 
you know, uh, of locally owned rental, that their tax basis is not only significantly higher than what the hotel is, but on their per square footage basis, they're paying way, way more compared to the hotel. Because even though, you know, something like the Grand Wailea sells for billion plus dollars, you know, on their per square footage tax basis, it's so much less comparatively. I mean, it, I, I see an opportunity to uh, level the playing field a little bit more because when you have people visit, they generally get more of an understanding of Maui when they're here for a longer period of time and they stay in, in, in condo units compared to the hotels, which is usually here for a dramatically shorter period of time. And they have multiple layers to harvest cash from these visitors because they have restaurants, you know, and, um, uh, and, and, and more turnover by comparison. So I'm, I'm kind of surprised I haven't seen a correction because hotels got tax breaks while, you know, the local property taxes have gone up. I think I'm getting your question from that. Um, I think the council <clears throat> tries to, um, I guess, influence people's behavior. And one way to do that is through taxation. Uh, one way to do that is to say, we don't want more short-term, we want more long-term. So I suppose you could say that they're influencing or some might say punishing people for the short-term in trying to direct them into perhaps going into more long-term because that's where the need is, in, in, in fairness. That's where we need uh, housing. Um, I think the way to uh, influence the way the council sets the tax rates is to vote for council members that you want to do or who see it the way you do. Um, it's not really the mayor's function. Uh, it's, it's not according to the charter. Uh, the mayor can propose, yeah, of course, and the mayor can try to sit with council members, uh, or at least a majority of them, and say, you know, we should consider this for these reasons. Um, you know, it's funny because when you talk to the hotel association, they, they see it a little different. You know, they feel like they're getting taxed quite quite unfairly and, and quite high, and they, and they have their statistics that they can pull up and show this is how much we're contributing. Um, now, I think when they use those statistics, they are including the short-term rental market in that, by the way, too. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I think the only way to address uh, tax rate, which is really what this question is about, is to speak out at council hearings and meetings uh, to share your views um, and to vote for people that you think support your your views of it. Uh, no, again, I'm a, not a very proper point to make because yeah. you know, it, and people have to be involved. I really love the blue jeans process. It is kind yeah. of hard though when you go to county council and you know they're uh, taking these tiered systems and higher tax rates into consideration, and it is unanimous in there that the tax rates. Uh, and, and systems are changed to a different le level than they're suggesting. And the only person that's for it is the uh, hotel lobby, when, you know, testifying. And, you know, you, you have a variety of opinions that saying, oh, no, no, it should be way, way more. And it's, it, it goes and vote comes to the vote. And nobody has listened to a single one of the testimonies that are in there. So I think you're right. It basically voting is the most important part so that taxation is properly represented by both, you know, the people and owners of Hawaii, as opposed to, you know, the larger corporations. So I, I think that's, that's right. So uh, that's what I tell people anyway, because um, I'm not sure how else to change things. I'm not sure how else to do it. No. Since we're ending this conver uh, thing, we appreciate your time. We really do. Is how can one follow the, your movement, your campaign, or get involved? What, what does someone do? I'm sorry. You know what happened? Uh, my my computer screen froze up okay. on me while you were asking the question, Mike. I was asking you. Sorry about that. What I was asking is now that we've kind of wrapped this conversation up. First of all, we appreciate your time. 
greatly appreciated. Great answers. Um, you know, hopefully our, our listeners and viewers can weed through it and determine who they want as mayors. How can someone follow your campaign or get involved or social media? How do they get a hold of you? All right. So BissonMovement.com is our, our website. But I think if you were to put in Rick Bisson, Richard Bisson, Bisson Premier, any of those um, those cues would, would lead you to our website, our webpage. We have a presence on Facebook, on Instagram. Uh, don't ask me too many technical questions. I'm the old guy who's just uh, figuring out social media on my side. But um, yeah, we're very engaged. We have some people way smarter and a lot younger than me putting that, you know, running all of that for our campaign. So we have a lot of information. We're always updating our, our posts and our information. Uh, again, that's where people can find out where our meetings are, where our sign wavings are, our canvassing. Um, you know, we're working hard. Uh, got a great team of people that are very dedicated to, uh, yeah, to our campaign. So I just want to say thank you to them. Awesome. Thank you so much. We really appreciate your time. Uh, again, this is uh, Richard Bisson, who's our mayoral candidate right now. And we're doing our interview of questions to see, you know, some of the possible directions of the future of, of Maui County. And, um, and it's, it was wonderful to hear your ideas and going forward. And I wish you the best in the election. Thank you so much, of course, to Byron Yap being my co-host from Axia Home Loans. Uh, Byron, you want to tell us a little bit about yourself real quick? Uh, just Byron Yap, work out of the Kihei branch of Axia Home Loans on Lipoa. And if you need anything, you can look us up online at axiahomeloans.com. And I'm uh, Clint Hansen with Maui Luxury Real Estate, and this is Maui Real Estate Radio. You can listen to this and all shows at MauiRealEstateRadio.com or search for real estate at MauiRealEstate.net. Thank you for tuning in on the KAOI Radio Group. Aloha and have a great day.